Hey, good morning folks. It's great to be with you again. Today I want to talk about no unity, no progress. Yes, I want to talk about experiencing unity. I don't know if you've ever been on a team or a club or some organization Maybe it's a study group, or maybe it's even our own MOPS group, Mothers of Preschoolers, where you've been in this group or this team or this club or this um, work experience, and it's really fantastic. And it's fantastic because there's a very clear goal of what you're trying to accomplish, and you just really also enjoy the people that you're doing it with. And invariably, you're enjoying the people because each person brings something different to the the team or the club <clears throat> so let me just say this it's really special and you'll know it you'll have remembered it you'll have memories fun memories maybe it's a sports team or a music band that you were playing in or even an orchestra where it was super fun you just really loved it and the reason is because it had a clear purpose there was unity and there was diversity, meaning each person on the team brought something different. And as a result, it was a lot of fun. So if you're in a workplace that has that experience, you know that it's a fun place to work in. On the other hand, if you're in a workplace where the goal is pretty clear, but it's not fun because the people that you're working with you know, just on life-giving. There's no either no unity or there's no contribution from others that's that's meaningful and helpful or whatever. Uh, maybe, you know, coming up for Thanksgiving. Maybe you really look forward to it because, hey, the idea is we all get together as family. Uh, you see all your relatives that you haven't seen for a long time, and it's just super fun. And that's something that you really, really just uh, look forward to. On the negative side, at the same Thanksgiving, if you've got the one person that really wants to talk politics and it's, he has the exact opposite view that you have, you just know that this is not fun. It's just awkward. Or if the person's super like in your face about it, you're just like, I don't even want to be there. But what I am saying is that when we experience tension, it's normally because there's no unity. And whether it be tension at Thanksgiving or just tension at home now because everybody's cooped up and everybody's got a different vision, like one's trying to work and one's trying to do homework and someone else is trying to do whatever they do, want to do to keep the house in order. And you're just like on top of each other. And it's like, this is not fun. And we know, you know, for a lot of people, this is their situation. It's not fun. But on the other hand, if it is fun... It's like super, super fun. I want to say this. Unity at church is not uniformity. And we do want to have unity in church. But it, we do not want everybody to be uniform. It's not like everybody has to have the same political views, the same view on everything. It's the diversity and the differences that we have, the different life experiences that brings the richness uh, to to church and it's something that we really um, think is a big deal. 
Not only do we think it's a big deal, but Jesus thinks that unity is a really, really big deal. I mean, Jesus thinks unity in church is a way bigger deal than most of us think it is, or even realize it is. I mean, just think of this. Jesus prays this prayer. It's like his last major prayer that he prays before he's going to be tried and crucified. And he prays for you and for, and for me, for unity as believers. So let me just pray and I want to jump into our text. Jesus, I just pray that uh, you would empower us to be in unity with the things that you're passionate about. Lord, help us uh, to add value to the groups that we're part of, the friend groups that we're mixing with, that we can be uplifting and positive and add value. And Lord, I just pray that you would empower me as I'm preaching today, that uh, your word would come through clearly and it would be clear what it is that you're speaking to each one of us as a result of your word being spoken. That it, this word would not go out void and not come back with power and people being equipped. So in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is what it says regarding Jesus when he's praying. He says, May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. I mean, it's like Jesus saying they, they will experience this perfect unity and it would be a witness to the whole world that Jesus was sent by God. I mean, and yet we can experience that exact thing. Uh, yeah, and uh, so, you know, I pray for that. I pray that um, we would not experience disunity. And it really is an amazing thing. I mean, people from the outside or visitors for the first time should be able to come into church and say, wow, what a diverse and unusual mix of people. There's old people, there's young people, there's people of color, there's people of different political views, both sides of the spectrum, and they actually just really love each other. I mean, at this time, that's quite a thing. And in our church, that's a reality. We can have people that love Trump, and we can have people that love Biden, and we can get together and we say, you know what, it's not about politics, it's about Jesus. It's quite remarkable. And we can actually love each other. Let me say this. The lack of unity in a church is one of the primary ways that the enemy dilutes the business of church. And so unity is really a big deal. So that the purposes of church can go forward. We all can feel our country at this particular time. It's hurting. I mean, we call ourselves the United States, but it feels like we're the divided states. And we're not proud of it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't matter which party you support. It's like, this is an awkward time in our history. We are not pulling together. And we hope, hopefully we can. But my interest is not politics. My interest is the Word of God and the business of church, the vision of church. Today I want to look at a passage in the Bible. It's the first um, place that we see in the early church 
where there was tension, where there was division, where there was a lack of unity. And I want to look at how they resolved that lack of unity because actually it's pretty remarkable. And there's lots in there for each one of us to learn from. And I want to look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. And the subtitle, if you want to just figure out where this is, is Seven Men Chosen to Serve. So let me read this short passage, and then we'll dig into it. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom, we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked the idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Peramus, Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Okay, this is just a, a really interesting, wonderful passage. What is the problem? The problem here is that the church is going great. I mean, people are adding to, they're adding to their numbers daily, but there's a problem of like the benevolence fund. People are not getting, the, the people in need are not getting what's needed because there's discrimination going on. The Jewish speaking contingent from Jerusalem uh, are getting more than their fair share. The, the Jewish folks that are from the diaspora are getting, you know, done out. Now, by the way, here's a, another plug for the New Living Translation because it helps us understand this problem. It tells us in verse 2, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. It's really clear. It's showing us what the problem is. In other translations, good translations like the NIV, it'll say the Hellenistic believers. And it's like, well, you know, who exactly are they? But in the NLT, this is just one example of many, where it makes it really clear. You've got the, the in crowd, so to speak, those that are from Jerusalem, those that are Hebrew-speaking uh, Jews, 
are really treating the Jews that are Greek speaking like second class citizens. So again, what's happening here is this. The, the Jewish people from the exile that got sent all over, uh, you know, outside of, of Jerusalem when they got taken over by Syria and Babylon, and they ended up all over the world. Now, many of them, hundreds of years later, still have this urge to come back to Jerusalem. In fact, they want, to be, they want their bones to be buried near Mount Zion. And so many of them were coming back later in life, and they would die. And then their widow, she would just really get treated badly because she didn't have an income and she was new to the area and treated like a second-class citizen. In fact, in Jerusalem, we see that there are two different synagogues. There's the Jewish synagogue for those that speak Hebrew, and then there's the synagogue for all these other Jews that speak Greek and that have come to Jerusalem, which is actually the synagogue where Saul, later to become Paul, was attending that synagogue. And we see from this passage that the, the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is penetrating these synagogues. There's believers from the Jewish synagogue that speak Hebrew and the Jewish synagogue that speak Greek. And they formed a church. And so now there's the problem. How do we deal with the the problem of discrimination with what with the giving out of, of um, you know of food and helping the poor. So the solution is fourfold. They clarify what the vision is, what everybody's what the main vision is. They clarify what the secondary vision is. They talk about delegation and then they talk about empowering the discrimination, the discriminated, those that are marginalized, and empowering them into leadership. So let's just look at these four solutions to this problem. The first one is just clarifying what is the vision. Now it is wonderful in this verse, in this section, because it starts and finishes with clarifying that vision. As the believers rapidly multiplied, we get it right there. That's the vision. They're rapidly multiplying. They, they're teaching people about Jesus. They're sharing the good news, and people are responding. And then it closes, and it says, So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. So the vision is to spread the good news. And so, folks, our vision is this vision, is to be a church where we can share the good news, where we can share the word of God with people that don't yet follow Jesus. This is the primary vision. And this is what they were delineating here. Say, let's make sure that we don't dilute the primary vision. And so, folks, when, you know, the, the call for evangelism in the church or the commitment to missions, when that dries up, it's like a rot sets in from the core, from the heart of the church. We can never allow our primary vision for the good news of Jesus to be going out into our community, to share it with our friends, to get dropped and get so carried away with all the other good things that we do in church. That primary vision has to be primary. And then 
Not only that, they then define, okay, so what is the secondary vision? And the secondary vision is we need to take care of our people. We need to love our people and take care of them. It's no, it's no small thing. And I'm kind of interested, actually, when you see the type of caliber person that they give towards solving this, you know, benevolence problem. Uh, they needed to be people that had, that had to be like well respected in verse three, and full of the spirit. I mean, you wouldn't think somebody had to be full of the spirit to be able to handle distribution of food. And we know from this because they chose Stephen, and then after this little section, we read about how Stephen was preaching the gospel. So even the people involved in doing the distribution of food were still talking about Jesus and spreading the, the good news, still keeping the primary vision primary. So they distinguish what is primary and having those folks that are gifted in that area to preach the word and to keep doing the primary thing and not to be um, slowed down by doing all the other things. And, you know, in a church setting, there are so many things we do in our church, great things that we do in our church. But the challenge is, how do we do both? How do we do the preaching uh, and not get tied down with all the other things that people expect a church to do? And so it's important. Keep the vision, the primary vision primary and the secondary visions uh, secondary. But God does want everybody in our church to not only understand what the primary vision is, but to understand what your role is in the primary vision. And it's more complicated than that, more wonderful than that. Uh, when you join a church, you join a family, uh, and you include it, and you should feel loved. There's another interesting thing that I've noticed with people getting uh, a little confused about what their role is when you come to church, because it's so multifaceted. The primary thing that we all want to experience and need to experience is the love of God. We need to connect with Jesus. And when we gather together, one of the great things is we can worship together. We can hear the preaching together. We can sense what's happening. And there's an increased level of anointing and power that comes when we gather together to connect with God. And this is great. We need to experience God and connect with God and experience His love and be filled up with God. But for many people, that's the end point. Meaning, every day they're looking for like, okay, I need another good feeling verse for myself. I need to be lifted up. I need to connect with the Lord so that I can connect with the Lord, so that I can be lifted up. Nothing wrong with that, except it can't stop there. It's so that I can then also love my neighbor and reach out. So it's got to be vertical and it's got to be horizontal. But we get stuck. It's like, ah, oh, you know, the worship in this church wasn't so great. I'll go somewhere else. Look, at some point you've got to say, the church is my family uh, with some of its flaws and imperfections, but this is going to be my family. And this is where I'm going to experience God. And this is where I'm going to grow. 
And this is where I'm going to see where is my part in the whole. Let's help the primary vision get done. Let's help the secondary things get done. And let me find my role in that. And when we can do that, then we have both a great vision and a great team of people around us. And we would say this feels like a really wonderful family of which I'm blessed to be part of. So if we look at this problem again, the problem was uh, clarifying, well, the problem was people not getting their food that they needed, but the solution to the problem was clarifying the vision, primary vision. The secondary part of the solution was uh, saying, okay, what's a primary vision, what's a secondary vision, and then it was delegation. And this is a, a classic example. It's something that's so easy to say, uh, and we all if you've in, been in any sort of leadership capacity, have experienced how easy it is to say and how hard it is to do. Meaning, it's obviously imperative that we delegate. And in this particular passage, it was so nice and clear, they delegated the secondary priorities so that they could, the apostles could do the primary. But friends, if you've tried to delegate, it's an art form. It's so easy to get the concept. It's not so easy to do it. I mean, you've got to find the right people and you've got to be able to delegate the right amount of um, information and responsibility and, and you've got to really nurture that whole process. But suffice to say, nothing really gets done in any big organization unless there's some sense of delegation. And the flip side is everybody needs to feel some role that they're playing and some part of, you know, contributing to the greater good of the, of the church and the organization that you enjoy being part of. So delegation and understanding, you know, the lines of that delegation are, is really, really important. It's really important. So, you know, sometimes when you think of some of the secondary causes and the importance of delegating that, because the church has a lot of things that it does. As I said, the primary purpose is evangelism, missions, getting the word of God out. The secondary purpose uh, can cover a lot of things, benevolence being one of them. But what about some of these other incredible ministries that historically have come out of the church? One would be hospitals being formed. Another one would be universities being formed, particularly the Jesuits. You know, they would start these learning institutions because they knew that at that time when, when the Jesuits were doing this, higher, needing higher education, they knew to help people, they needed to ed get them educated. And then, so you've got all these universities that have been started. But what about hospitals that have been started? Again, for the same thing, people of faith saying, look, we need to help the people around us. So, say, for instance, in Boston, we got Beth... Israel Deaconess. Well, Beth Israel was started in 1919 by a Jewish community trying to take care of the needs of their community. And the Deaconess Hospital was started even earlier in 18-something. And they were a bunch of women Methodists actually connected with Germany. And they said, look, we need to take care of the sick. And so, you know, the hospitals have started all. What about New York Presbyterian? Presbyterian. I mean, these are all 
great institutions that have been started because people are passionate about Jesus and wanting to serve. But what I am saying is the primary purpose of the church is getting the good news about Jesus out. The secondary purpose can cover all these great purposes, but the one shouldn't dilute the other. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. And delegation helps make that clear and helps both thrive. But the last one is not so obvious. And I want to uh, just look at this a little bit. And the last one being the last solution to this problem. First solution being clarifying the vision. Second one, what's primary, what's secondly. Delegating and then lastly, uh, empowering the disenfranchised. This is really something fantastic that's going on here. And uh, it's not, quite honestly, super obvious in the text. You, it, it really does need to be explained. So this is, what's, this is what's gone down here. The apostles said, okay, we have a group of women that are not being taken care of. How are we going to solve this problem? What we're going to do is we're going to raise to leadership people from that disenfranchised group and give them a seat at the table, so to speak. Give them a place in leadership and let them solve the problem. How do we know this? Well, all seven of the men that were chosen were all Greek. How do we know that? Because all their names are Greek. So all seven of the men were all Greek believers and they were the disenfranchised group. So now all of a sudden they empowered, they come to the leadership table and they get a place that, you know, to make things right. It's just a, a great solution to the problem. And I've seen that in the, in the corporate world. Uh, where some of the folks that are uh, one particular company, well, actually the, the federal government, the, 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 the bank, Federal Reserve Bank, uh, one of my friends is a senior leader in the bank. And she also happens to be Persian. And so the bank smartly said, hey, you're already a senior leader. How about we put you in charge of the racial issues that we experience around us. How can, how can we empower those that are being discriminated against even without us as leaders maybe recognizing that? And they charged her with that responsibility and she's just done a fantastic job with that. But what I am saying is one of the ways of solving the problem of racism or people being disenfranchised is allowing them to have representation and a place at the leadership table. And that's what the apostles uh, did here. So I want to just uh, finish here in saying, uh, you know, we want to be passionate followers of Jesus, doing what Jesus has called us to do. And I want each one of you to be a partner with us in that work. And I would love you to really understand, okay, what is your role here in the church? How can you partner with us? And how can you connect with Jesus and grow at the same time? But also recognizing that we are a family. 
we we love everybody and we all want to be included but we also all want to know okay so and that's what I'm praying for for us as a church that we can experience this incredible unity that we can do what Jesus called us to do we can all be part of it and we can intentionally make sure that this is a place that everybody is respected. So I do pray that you would join me in being proactive in making sure that this church is a place where we experience unity, that we pray for our church, pray for protection over our church, that every single person feels like they're part of the family, and that we don't get bogged down in political debates and secondary issues which which are not where the church needs to be going. Friends, I just pray for you. I pray that you'd experience the joy of being part of a family, the, the, the joy of being part of a team, the joy of being part of what Jesus is doing on earth today through us and through the church and through you, that you'd experience that blessing in your name, Jesus. Amen.